He's making a dua. Yeah. Now what's he saying? He was, he's praying for them. He's praying saying, for the God, disciples. protect yeah. my disciples. I'm not in the world anymore. Yeah. And the entire time that I was in the world, I was really careful. I was protecting them. I was safeguarding them. I only lost one of them. Perdition. The son of perdition. And who's the son of perdition? Judas Iscariot. Iscariot. That gave me goosebumps. Welcome back, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, thank you for joining me. And uh, today's episode, it's going to be a continuation of the topic that we were talking about in the previous episode, and that is the Antichrist. Okay. Uh, so we covered in the past episode the Antichrist and Judaism, or the Anti-Messiah mm-hmm. Judaism, and we went over um, the book of Daniel, and we also went over uh, some of the Jewish texts which mention in the events that take place in the time of the Antichrist. So now let's shift over to the New Testament okay. and uh, see what uh, Jesus, peace be upon him, had to say about the Antichrist. Okay, that sounds great. I, I, I found everything that we learned in the previous episode uh, extremely interesting. Uh, there were things that I had never seen or read before, particularly the, the concept of the, the two uh, messiahs and uh, these characters that were mentioned. Uh, it was really interesting, so I can't wait to see what we're going to learn today. So now, before we go into the New Testament, we actually look at the verses that talk about the Antichrist in Christianity and in the Bible. Okay. Why don't you tell me, um, you grew up Catholic, right, mm-hmm. all your life. Yeah. Uh, and you were, in, you were pretty religious uh, Catholic coming from a religious family, right? Yes. So tell me, what was the, the concept of the Antichrist for you? Like, how often did you hear about it? Was it a big part of your faith? Was it not so much a big part? Like, what did you understand? What did the preachers and the priests talk about the Antichrist and say? You know I would say that the Antichrist is not as spoken about in Catholicism as, I've, as I know it is in um, Protestant denominations, but I was aware of the concept. Um, yeah, I knew that in the, second, in the time of the second coming of Jesus, there were, he would be opposed by an Antichrist, this figure who is you know, the opposite of him, a great deceiver. And uh, it was something that I knew uh, was was going to happen in the end times. But um, I, I, I am also aware that it's not as emphasized in Catholicism. Uh, and the book of Revelation is, is, you know, it's not as emphasized as it is in some of these other Protestant denominations. Yeah. For the Protestant denominations, the Antichrist is a big deal. Yeah. And actually, they, uh, they talk about him a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the media and uh, pop culture is really obsessed with the antichrist yeah and there's lots of movies that were made about him you know or have references to him and yeah so let's look at some of the scripture um we'll go first uh, here with uh, luke one okay why don't you read it sure he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant david okay so that's that's interesting yeah yeah because it's talking about here, Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. He's the horn of salvation. Yes, okay. That's interesting symbolism with the horn. It is, yeah. because because here uh, we see in the New Testament the word horn uh, referencing um, a Messiah, mm-hmm. right? Or yeah. a person from God. Yeah. So uh, that matches perfectly with what we talked about in the 
previous episode with the little horn mm -hmm. uh, being kind of like also a anti-messiah. Anti yeah. yes. And if you take the horn in the book of Daniel to mean a king, which was literally the translation for it, yeah. then we have here in Luke 1, uh, Jesus being referred to as a horn, mm -hmm. and that really proves that Jesus was sent as what? A king. As a king, okay, and not just as a sacrifice, but rather the original intention for Jesus to come was to be um, a king to rule over Israel. Okay. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Okay, so this is incredible, uh, this, this part here, because it's the first time, you know, so far that we are reading in the Bible, uh a verse that's talking about the Antichrist and it's mentioning Antichrist yeah. by the, the actual term, the word Antichrist. And it's a, it's a definition of what or who is the Antichrist. Yeah. And so we know that one, the Antichrist is what? He's, he's a liar. Yeah. Whoever we can also it. deduct from here that um, the Antichrist is, is not just one figure but there's a multiplicity, there's multiplicity of Antichrist, like there's a lot yeah. of Antichrist figures. It's a term that, that, that doesn't just apply to one person, but to many. Yeah. Uh, who are these people that the word Antichrist would apply to? Um, it's saying those who deny that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, that's what it's saying here, it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. What does the word Christ mean? Messiah. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't mean Son of God. Yeah. It just means Savior, the Messiah. Messiah. That doesn't mean savior yep. even. Christ means somebody who was anointed. Anointed. The anointed, anointed one. one. Yes, right. Messiah means anointed and one. The yes, Messiah is the one who's anointed. Yes. Okay, so really you could take out Christ and just replace it with Messiah. Messiah, yeah. So anyone who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, according to 1 John, he is an antichrist. Yes, okay. Okay? And whoever denies that Jesus is the Messiah, he also denies God Almighty. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. Okay. So the Antichrist is a liar who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Yes. And at the same time, he doesn't believe in God. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. It is this verse that makes it almost impossible for Christians to argue that the character of the Antichrist would be a Muslim. Yes, because the Muslims believe that Jesus was the anointed exactly. one, the Messiah. That's actually true, yeah. The, 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 the Muslims, they believe that Jesus was the Messiah. It's true. They yeah. don't deny it, and there's yeah. no arguing uh, in that. In order to be a Muslim, you have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and confess that. Wow. Let's move forward. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Warnings against denying the Son. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Wow. This is incredible, Tiffany. 
So it's, it? yeah, he's saying that that there are many antichrists, and some of them have have gone out from us. They they appeared to be part of us, but they've gone yeah. out. Naturally. So now the, the term antichrist is being used here to describe people that became Christian, hmm? became believers in Jesus Christ, yeah. confessed faith in Him, yeah. but then they switched. They switched. Hmm. They left, yeah. or they betrayed, they like betrayed. Judas Iscariot. So now we have here a justification, it's very clear, that Judas is an Antichrist. Yes, he would definitely fall into that category. For sure. And also Pontius Pilate, who doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he would also be an Antichrist. Yes. And also the Jewish people as a whole. Yeah. That's what that's what I was thinking when you were talking about uh, any Muslim who uh, they can't really fall into this category because they confess that Jesus was the Messiah, but there are many people who they were faced with Jesus, but they denied him and they they did not accept him as the Messiah. And that's why, for for many many centuries and and even today, uh, a large portion of the Christian population believe that the Antichrist is a Jewish figure. He's actually a Jew, and when he comes, he'll come, or he's an atheist. Uh, but they used to always think that it would be a Jew. That was the idea behind uh, uh, behind their interpretation of these verses. Interesting. Okay, let's continue. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Okay, so here we can clearly see that, like, now in First John, He's kind of describing this struggle between the believers and the non-believers. And it, it seems like every single person yeah, who believes in Jesus, uh, they say that he's filled with the Spirit of Jesus, or yeah. the Spirit of God. Yeah. Yeah, and this and is... in, in opposition to the congregation of God and the children of God that are filled with the Spirit of God, you have this gigantic other spirit that's residing all over these other types of people that are denying Jesus, yeah. and that is the spirit of Antichrist. So now it's not just oh an individual, gosh. but it's like, a like whole, an the, army. The, the anti-Holy Ghost. Oh my gosh! That's that's coming upon the con- congregation. The spirit, yeah. I I never thought of it in this way, but yes, it would be if you deny that Jesus is from God, and you're, this is going to fill you with the spirit of the Antichrist. So there are many people that would be filled with the spirit of the Antichrist. And, and some, some people, some Christians, unfortunately, they take the First uh, John 4, verse 2. This is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Mm-hmm. So they understand that to be what? Every spirit that acknowledges that the Son of God, Jesus, has come in the flesh is from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not what it says. No, that's not what it it's says. Not. It's saying every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus the Messiah, yes, yeah. Jesus the Messiah, yes. has come in the flesh is from, from God. God. Yeah. So that would mean what? That would mean that according to this verse, maybe it changes as we move along in the New Testament, but according to this verse, all of the Christians and all of the Muslims would have in them the Spirit from God, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 
And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Wow. So now what's it saying, Tiffany? It's saying that there's many people that are out there that are trying to misguide people and deceive them. Yeah. And that many of these people have already been born. They've already been sent forward. They've already come into the world. Yeah. People that try to tell you that Jesus was not the Messiah. Yeah. He says any of those people is the Antichrist. Yeah. So oh. now we have the Antichrist appearing to the people of God continuously. Yes. In the form of, of rabbis in the form of priests, of, of other religions other than Christianity. You know, they don't teach you this. They don't teach but you that. But this is what it's saying. That's so crazy. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus the Messiah as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Yes. Any such person is the deceiver and, and the, anti the Antichrist. Yes, and the Antichrist. That's Okay, let's continue. That's so clear. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am here he and will deceive many when you hear of wars and rumors of wars do not be alarmed such things must happen but the end is still to come nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there will be earthquakes in various places and famines these are the beginning of birth pains you must be on your guard you will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues on account of me you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the gospel must first be preached to all nations whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm in the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay. So there's two things that we want to take uh, home from Mark 13. Mm -hmm. One is that Jesus in his own tongue is now warning people about the conditions of the end times, the signs of the end times. And he's warning them of the Antichrist, mm -hmm. and he's telling them that many people are going to come and they're going to be claiming to be him. Yes. So this could be understood to be two things. Either there's going to be deceivers that are going to come into the world now, and they're not going to just deny Jesus, but but they're actually going to claim to be Jesus. Yeah. Or they're going to be coming into the world and claiming to be the promised Messiah yes. of the Jews. Okay? Yes. And the second thing that we want to point out is that Jesus is confirming now in his own words that a sign of the end times, after his birth and after his death, is what? The abomination yeah. 
that causes desolation. Yes. Standing and why is this important? Because it's mentioned in the Old Testament. Yes, and so it's important because the Jews who believe these verses to be talking about things that have happened in the past mm -hmm. are wrong because Jesus has already clarified in his own words that this is something that's yet to come. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Yes. All right, let's continue. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Okay, okay so here in, in, in this one, let's go back to it. Now, now uh, Jesus is kind of clarifying that when he says that many people are going to come and they're going to say, you know, I am he, <laughs> that he's actually talking about people who will come claiming to be the promised Jewish Messiah. Yes. Okay. okay. And he says what? False messiahs and also false prophets are going to appear and they're going to perform signs and wonders and we have to be careful. Yeah. So now, so now Jesus in his own words is once again confirming that there will be many antichrists that will come in the world. Yes. All right, let's continue. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. All right, so Mark 13 is uh, its quite interesting. And it... There's a large group of people that believe, as well as the disciples in the time of Jesus, and after he was gone, they also believed with all of their heart. Mm -hmm. So they believed in all of the, with all of their heart that they were living in the end times. Yeah, yeah. And they, they believed would. that because of Jesus and what he said here, that this generation, meaning this group of people that are alive today, they'll mm -hmm. never die until all of these things that I've mentioned have come to pass. Yes, yeah. It means that the Antichrist, which is a part of these things that Jesus is mentioning, he would have come during the life or after the life of Jesus. Of oh, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, so either in the life of Jesus or right after the life of Jesus, within the lifespan of the disciples and the people that believed in him. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating, and I know of this, and I know that this is one of those verses that people, uh, they say, well, has, has this happened, and they, they start to have that conversation. But he, he, his words are very clear. Yes. Okay, let's move on to the next verse. The destruction of the temple and signs of the end times. 
Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so basically in this scene, Jesus is with the disciples. They're looking at the temple, and Jesus is like, hey, I want to tell you guys something. Uh, not one of these stones is going to be left in this building. The whole thing is going to be destroyed. Yeah. And then he, the disciples say, when is it going to be destroyed? And then he starts telling them about the events of the end times yeah. until he reaches over here um, to the, these, these couple verses which are extremely important to point out. And that's verse number 10 and verse number 11 because mm -hmm. in verse number 10 and 11, they're tied to each other. Okay. He says, at that time, many will turn away from their faith. So many people are going to what? They're going to apostate, yeah, right? Apostate, yeah. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So now, are these false prophets who are appearing exactly simultaneous at the same time that people are moving away from their faith or, or disbelieving in Jesus? Are they pulling them away? Are they? Is it? Is it? Are they false prophets because? They're pulling them away, or are they false prophets because they're claiming to be messiahs? Yes. Do you understand? Yeah, I understand. I mean, they're they're that they're they're deceiving people. Exactly. So the false prophet, the term false prophet, or the false messiah, mm -hmm. it could be somebody who's saying, "I am the messiah," yeah. you know, or "I am a prophet from God," when they're really not. But it also clearly means, as has been demonstrated in these verses and also in the other verses and definitions before, that false prophet and false messiah apply to all of those who deny that Jesus is the messiah and are trying to pull people away from that, that idea, that belief. Okay. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from 
the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Wow, this is a very intense warning. Like, it is he, an he, extreme warning. And, and in this particular part that Jesus is talking about false messiahs and false prophets, um, you know, he's talking about he's talking about ones that come with miracles, mm -hmm. right? But they're not really miracles. Now, um, we dealt with basically all of the verses that have to do with the Antichrist and the Gospels in First John and also in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm -hmm. We're done with those. Okay. Okay. Now we don't have another mention of the Antichrist until what? Uh, Thessalonians. Yeah, Second Thessalonians. We and also in Revelations. Can we go yeah. to Thessalonians? Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Okay. So, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Where else is the son of perdition mentioned in the Bible? By Jesus. So the term, the term the son of perdition, it appears twice mm -hmm. in the entire Bible. Yeah. Here's one of them, and it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except that there come a falling away first. Okay. A falling away first is what? Um, somebody leaving. Or yeah. A fallout. Yeah, somebody, somebody leaving the Dawah, leaving the religion. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, this is generally understood to be talking about the end times. Mm-hmm. And the son of perdition is supposed to be talking about the anti what? The Antichrist. The Antichrist. Yeah. Because who wrote this? It's Paul. It's Paul. Yeah. And let's, we know that, that, that Paul was a liar, and we don't really believe in him, but let's, for the sake of argument, and because the Christians uh, believe in the words of Paul, let's assume that what he's writing here he got actually from the disciples or he collected the words of Jesus and that this is authentic. Mm -hmm. Yeah? So it means that, that the Antichrist, one of one of his names is the son of perdition. Mm -hmm. Okay, and he's associated with um, apostasy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now let's go to the other verse that mentions the son of perdition. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be as one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Okay, okay so these are the words of who? Of Jesus. Yeah, and what, what, what's he saying, basically? He, he's saying, like, look after my disciples. I'm, I'm going away now. Look after my disciples. Yeah. I haven't lost any of them. Who's he talking except to? Except to God. Yeah, he's making a dua. Yeah. And what's he saying? He's, he's praying for them. He's praying saying, for the God, disciples. protect yeah. my disciples. I'm not in the world anymore. Yeah. And the entire time that I was in the world, I was really careful. I was protecting them. I was safeguarding them. I only lost one of them. Perdition. The son of perdition. And who's the son of perdition? The one who betrayed Jesus, right? Exactly. Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Oh. So now we have a very interesting that thing. That gave me goosebumps. Jesus, in his own words, calling Judas the son of perdition. And then we have in the other verse, in Thessalonians, 
The Antichrist being referred to as the son of perdition. Yeah. And for that reason, you have this theory that we had mentioned in the yeah. previous episode that Judas Iscariot was the appearance of the Antichrist. And certainly he ticks all of the boxes. Yeah. In the Antichrist we read earlier, is somebody who leaves the faith. Mm-hmm. He's somebody who preaches that Jesus is not the Messiah. Yes. He denies that and therefore he denies God Almighty. And the Antichrist is somebody who was opposed to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, the main person who opposed Jesus Christ himself Judas. was Judas. So it makes sense then that if the Antichrist is a spirit that's coming upon the people, then the Antichrist would have chosen nobody else better than Judas Iscariot to dwell in and to confront Jesus and betray him and cause his death. Wow. And then we have that matching, it matches the events of the story of Armulus, yeah. right? Where first the Messiah appears and then he's killed by the Antichrist. Yes. So in, in, in that narrative, if, if, if Judas was an Antichrist, and certainly by this definition now that we've read, he is, then the Messiah appears, the Antichrist appears, Antichrist kills Messiah, right? And Messiah is to return in the future again. Okay, now I'm seeing how, how this can fit together. Before I had questions, I was wondering how, how is Jesus killed by the Antichrist? But okay, this, this clarified a lot for me. Good. All right, now we have to go to where? Revelation. Book of Revelation. And that's kind of like the main... Um, part of the Bible that's describing the events of the end times and and uh, what all is taking place there. And a lot of the scripture that has to do with the Antichrist comes from there. Yeah. All right, let's go there. The beast out of the sea. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies, and to exercise its authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God, and to slander his name, and his dwelling place, and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people, and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patience and endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people, the beast out of the earth. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. 
beast, whose fatal wound had been healed, and it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. Okay, so we have in the book of Revelation um, a lot of things that are going on. And the general understanding amongst all Christians almost is that um, there's several characters that appear in Revelation. One is the dragon, mm -hmm. and they understand the dragon to be Satan. Then they have two beasts that appear, one out of the sea and one out of the earth. Mm -hmm. The beast that's out of the sea, they consider that this beast, who has all of the authority of the dragon, this beast who gets injured and there's a, an image that's set up of him and people worship him, that this is the Antichrist. Yeah. And they have the understanding that the Antichrist has this other character that's kind of appearing with him. Yeah, that's the prophet. beast of the earth, yes, the false prophet. And the false prophet, his job is to kind of call people towards the worship of, of the Antichrist. Yeah. And the people who worship the Antichrist, they're effectively worshiping the devil. Mm -hmm. And then the Antichrist, right, through way, through means of the false prophet, uh, the false prophet begins to mark people. Mm -hmm. He marks them on their forehead and he marks them on their hand, or he marks them on their forehead or on their hand. Yeah. And 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 without this mark. People are not able to buy or sell or conduct any business. Yeah. 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 And the number, the mark is the is the number of the beast, and the number of the beast is six six six. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot going on with that, and people have wondered for a very long time. Okay. Well, what does this mean? Clearly, the Bible says those who have understanding can calculate the number, and there's always like these attempts to figure out yeah. what it is. Yeah. Uh, people have gone as far as believing that the or proposing uh, the hypothesis that the mark of the beast is like an RFID chip yeah. that would be placed in the hand of the person or or in their forehead. Um, people have taken it to be a physical mark uh, of such and something that they would be stamped or tattooed with, right? Mm -hmm. And they get that idea from the from the book of Genesis where after Cain slays Abel, um, he's marked by God with a particular mark that causes everybody to stay away from him. Yeah. And in the Jewish scriptures, this mark is done on the forehead of Cain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they draw this parallel between, okay. between the character of the Antichrist, who in Islamic scriptures, but we're going to go over this in the next episode when we deal with the Antichrist in Islam. Okay. Um, has letters that mean disbelief in Arabic that are written on his forehead that all the people that are learned and unlearned, people that can read or not read, they're able to recognize it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And between the Antichrist having having uh, the this mark that he's placing on the foreheads of people mm -hmm. or on their arms, yeah. and between Cain who has this marking, and then the Jewish scriptures it says it's a letter. It's a Hebrew letter. So some people have thought it's a it's a lesser known theory than than the one that that Judas was the antichrist but there is this theory out there that Cain himself is the antichrist. Okay. He's the original person who opposed God, yeah. the first of the creation, the first of the sons of man that opposed God and that he's returning. That spirit's returning, the spirit of Cain is returning to fight uh, Jesus in the end times. Okay. That's interesting. I, I, I was huh? I had never heard of that before. Yeah. But the problem with Revelation is that it it is like in the book of Daniel, a dream. Yeah, dream literature, right? Yeah. That's what they call it. Except unlike the book of Daniel that comes with the text and then its interpretation, the book of Revelation only comes with a dream mm -hmm. and the interpretation of it is absent. Yeah, that's the big problem because yeah. when I read Revelation, I'm blown away by how much is going on and how much symbolic language there is. And as you said, there's no interpretation. So it leaves uh, people to interpret who are, you know, not um, qualified to interpret such a thing. And, and there's been this very big push uh, recently, in recent years, um, this idea that the Antichrist is actually the Mahdi of Islam. And we're going to talk more about that theory in the, in the section that has to do with Islam because there's a lot of reasons why they think that and there's a lot of hadiths that um, you know, negate or support that and we're going to uh, talk about that in okay. the next episode. But what we, want to, what we want to try to understand from the book of Revelation now is, is the, the Antichrist and his actions. We're trying to decipher it. Okay. Uh, the action that's mentioned here that he's going to do, um, which is part of his great deception, is what is that he's going to cause people to receive this mark on their on their right hand or on their foreheads. Yes. What is this mark? Have you ever been taught that the mark is is something or another? No. I like as you said. I, I know the theories that people have that maybe it's going to be the chip things like this, but uh, I don't know. I don't actually know what the, the mark would be. Okay. So I have this here. I want you to read it for us. Okay. Consecration of the firstborn. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Aviv you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be anywhere within your borders. On that day tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. 
Okay, yeah, that's good. Okay. So now, now what do we have here? We have in the book of Exodus, the only other place in the entire Bible, whether New Testament or Old Testament, that mentions a mark on the forehead and the hand. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. Yeah. Revelation is talking about a mark on the on the hand and the forehead, mm -hmm. and Exodus is talking about a mark on the forehead and the hand. What is this mark in Exodus? Basically what happened is that after the ten plagues struck Egypt, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and he tells them, guys, uh, you can go ahead and go. Take the Israelites, go worship your God as you want to. I don't want you guys here anymore. Moses and Aaron, they gather the Israelites. God tells them that they have to have this, this, this feast, this festival of unleavened bread. Mm -hmm. Basically, he instructs them that as they're gathering up their supplies and as they're demanding from the Egyptians gold and silver in order to go on their way, um, they need to not have any yeast in their homes and cook bread that's not risen. Yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. And the cooking of the bread that's not risen and the eating of this bread for the seven days during that festival, it has to be something that they're doing every year forever. Mm -hmm. It's a new Eid, it's a new tradition for them that the Israelites must hold on to. Mm -hmm. And he says to them, so that they tell their children, I'm doing this, I'm cooking this, this bread without yeast because it is a reminder for me of what God did for us when we were coming out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. We were in such a rush, we were in such a haste to leave Egypt mm -hmm. that we didn't even have time for the bread to rise before we eat it. Do you understand? Yes, I understand? He says, this observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. Yeah. So the mark, this mark, this, this festival is the mark that is given to the Israelites. So the festival, how is it a mark though? It's a mark on their foreheads because it means that the law of God and God himself and his jurisprudence is what guards and guides their thinking and their belief. And it is a mark on their hands because it means that the laws and God and the observance of his jurisprudence is what guides their hand, their oh, actions. actions. Oh so God. it's their belief and their actions. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So if we take this same understanding of the mark on the forehead and the hand, yeah. and we look over here because these are God's own words. He's the one who's describing mm -hmm. to Moses what a mark on the forehead and what a mark on the hand means. Yeah. And if this is a vision from God, then the mark on the forehead and the mark on the hand in the vision would not be a physical mark, but it would be symbolic for whatever it is that God meant it to be. Yeah. What would he mean it to be then here? It means then that the beast forces all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark. Which means what? Which means that this, this, this character of the beast is not going to allow any person 
to eat, drink, sell, buy, conduct business, be a part of society, unless they truly are believing in the jurisprudence of God, or at the very least, acting, acting by it, okay. observing it. Yes. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. That so so he's the, the, the guardian of the jurisprudence. Okay. He, he gives life to this jurisprudence, and he's, he's ensuring that the people are abiding by it. That's what the mark of the beast is. Well, well I'm, I'm really like floored because I, uh, so many people have been trying to decipher the meaning of what this mark of the beast is. And there you, you pulled out a verse that's actually specifically mentioning exactly what's referenced here. Here for the Israelites, it says that the festival, the, this action will be, will be a mark for them on their forehead and their hand yeah. because they're believing and they're observing. Yeah. Here, it's a little bit lenient, either on their forehead, so either they're really believing or at least they're doing by or on the hand. Okay. Anyway, look, um, I think we're going to stop there because now um, for the Christian, they would understand that the Antichrist is coming with a particular new law. Yes. Right? Yeah. And this new law, uh, obviously for them, if it is the Antichrist, and for us too, if the Antichrist is the second beast, mm -hmm. um, or the second beast is a prophet for the Antichrist, then obviously this would be a satanic law, a yeah. bad law that he's forcing the people to do. Yes. Um, but there will be more to come on that in the, in the next episode, which we talk about uh, Islam, and the identity of the beast in Islam, because we know that um, there's many, there's verses in the Quran which mentions the beast of the earth, and there's also many hadiths from the Ahl Bayt and from the Prophet Muhammad that talks about the beast and his identity in particular. Okay. So thank you so much for being here with us. I can't wait. I cannot wait to continue. This is uh, this has been such an incredible journey so far, and I've learned stuff which uh, I, I never would have imagined learning. Thank you so much for teaching me this, and uh, I can't wait for the next episode. Thank you.